0: This is hd one hd 3 hornsby Welcome to the Austin Chronicle show. My name is Kim Jones and I am the editor of the Austin Chronicle, Austin's independent source of news and culture reporting since 1981. Before we get to today's guests, a quick reminder that if you want to vote in the Austin Chronicle's Best of Austin Readers Poll, now is the time to do it. For 30 years, we've been asking Chronicle readers to cast a ballot for the very best things about the city. Best burger, best comic book store, best CBD shop, best jukebox, best dive bar, and even best radio station. Voting for the first round ends this Tuesday at midnight, so you can find a ballot on page nine of this week's Austin Chronicle, and if you want to make my life even easier, since I am literally the person opening up print ballots, you can go ahead and vote online. Uh, you can find that at austinchronicle.com forward slash best of. All right, moving on to the first of our guests this week. This week, a new documentary is opening in Austin. It's called "Raise Hell, The Life and Times of Molly Ivins. Molly Ivins, who passed away in 2007, was a towering figure in state and national journalism. She was a former editor of the Texas Observer and a nationally syndicated columnist, a champion of progressive causes and a possessor of a very sharp tongue. With me today to talk about Molly Ivins is Chronicle staff writer Michael King. Michael, thank you for joining me.
1: I'm glad to be here.
0: So you uh, are also an alum of the Texas Observer, but your time didn't overlap with Molly Evans, did it?
1: Well, not directly. Uh, no, um, uh, I mean she was she had already become a legend by the time <laughs> that I arrived. I was I was there from roughly 1995 to 2000 when I came to the Chronicle, but uh, I had written for the Observer for years um, and you know read her all her stuff. And then once I came in and was first associate editor and then briefly editor, she was the angel behind The Observer. I'm um, a nominally, I think, either board chair or on the board, but all that meant in practice was is that... She would try to find money for the Observer. I went on a couple of uh, of begging tours with her, which I think I was mostly dead weight, but um, (laughs) but I got at least a glimpse of of Molly. I knew her, you know, more her public persona um, by that time than the private person. Which is, it was illuminating for me in this film to see a lot of that, especially her early life and the background of her becoming a journalist and so on. I thought it was wonderful that she wanted to be a foreign correspondent. Mm-hmm. That was something I didn't know. But so when I knew her, she was already a larger-than-life figure and uh, always helping the observer and and uh, in addition to writing for us. Of course, we ran her column regularly, and I had the sometimes awkward... Uh, job of editing that column which was always done in a great rush at the last possible minute but uh, you know full of uh, full of molly and I got to know her a little bit in that capacity I can remember one time one of the things that happens in the film is they talk about uh, the good old girl persona that she not only adopted but sort of lived into over decades and she was doing the okey-doke with me one time, you know. Uh, and I'm sitting there listening. I forget what we were talking about, some kind of uh, observer business. And I said, and she was talking about She was trying to play this, you know, just a country girl. And I said, Molly, you're a Smith College French major. You don't have to, you don't have to waste that on me. <laughs> and she laughed and, and backed down a little bit. But the, the film is very good at telling that part of the story in the sense that um, one of the reasons she had to adopt that persona in addition to being uh, not only a woman, but a, a, a very large woman in a male profession. Mm-hmm.
0: Six feet tall, right?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, and that struck me too in the film in a way it hadn't before, because I'm I'm a little bit larger than <laughs> yeah. that. So I, I it hadn't really struck me so forcibly. But you can see those old photographs when she's in school, and she's towering over everybody in the mm-hmm. picture. And, and it made her feel awkward. Uh, and I think that was a personal headache. But but then she would—so so at the legislature, which is full of literal good old boys at the time, and it still Bubba's, really right? is— Bubba's, I think that?
0: Bubba's was her word for
1: it. Yeah, although that Bubba's were less for the legislature than for the general Texas population, okay. I guess. But she played that role in part to disarm extremely conservative legislators who, uh, who uh, thought of her as kind of an oddity, uh, didn't know what to make of her. Um, and because they condescended to her, they, she would, they would tell her literally everything, Mm -hmm. which she would then duly publish. And they didn't seem to realize what they were doing. They weren't, a lot of them weren't all that bright. I over, I uh, overlapped with her a little bit at the legislature. Uh And I remember that, that. The, the sequence in the film Warren Chisholm and Talmudge Heflin trying to outlaw sodomy,
2: and it was
1: so ludicrous. Sure. <laughs> and and she, as she said, you could you could cry or you could laugh, and and, and, and to survive all that stuff, you had to laugh at it. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and for a little bit of context, um, you know, in the seventies and, and early eighties, when she was at the Observer, the Observer was at the time pretty much the only liberal publication in the state, right?
1: Yeah, very much so. And that both gave it a more powerful voice than it would have otherwise had for such a small publication. Uh, but also, I think, uh, served to uh, isolate it in a ways that was sometimes not very healthy. I mean, um, you, you know, you you felt this sense of being the voice crying in the wilderness. It was better by the time I came there. But still, I mean— the for the Observer's purposes, the great thing about Molly, even after she left, is that it gave the, the, the magazine this huge, this nationwide public face, even after she was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and as she said, you know, you come back to Texas, um, you, you know, you know uh, who the some are you're after. Um, you know, she was a fish out of water uh, at The New York Times by intention. That's why they hired her. Sure. And then they were upset when she was a fish w- out of water. Very strange stuff. Mm-hmm. and But also a real, you know, pioneer as a woman journalist uh, all that time. I wish she had gotten the opportunity to be a, a foreign correspondent. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but uh, then she would have had to, uh, uh, you know, live in Paris. So I don't know. Molly in Paris is something to contemplate. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, <laughs> she certainly was a, a, a pretty fantastic chronicler of, of Texas politics. Um, I'm curious— One of the great things about the film is you get such a a sense of her voice. Um, She was really funny, like really, really funny. Um, Could just take down all kinds of – what did did she say about – I got such a kick out of what she said about – uh, Dan Quayle. If you put that man's brain in a bumblebee, it would fly backwards. <laughs> right. Uh, I I just thought that was terrific. Um, right. right. But,
1: and then you know she named uh, the young W. Uh, shrub. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And about another legislator, uh, she said, you know, if his if his IQ slipped any, any lower, we'd have to water him three times a day. And she was full <laughs> of those. uh sure. Full of those kind of one-liners.
0: But she, but she was really serious about progressive. Causes, Right.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. What were some of
0: the the things that she championed?
1: Well, uh, um, the observer itself and journalism um, and and uh, she was famous for for, you know, by the time she had gotten famous, she could command really hefty speaking fees. And so one way she dealt with that was by giving a free ACLU speech every month. That is, you know, the money would go to them. Um, So she was very much a civil libertarian. Um, she, she, although not not so much explicitly, she was a figure of feminism. Obviously, she was a groundbreaker um, and uh, didn't take any guff. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it cost her in some ways. I think the film talks about how initially alcohol was a tool for her. She could drink legislators under the table and uh, and get them to talk to her when it was a very much a drinking culture. Um, which it isn't so much anymore. They're much more puritanical about it now. But, um, but over time she became an alcoholic, very serious. What did somebody in the, in the, uh, uh, Annie Lamott says Mm -hmm. an alcoholic of the worst sort. And finally her friends intervened, uh, near the end of her life. Um, she was a even though she was always on her own for the most part she was a fast liver i mean she just you know smoked and drank and and didn't stop until she was facing death directly um um but you know just to be a liberal in texas at that time now now the word has been denigrated but um um all all the progressive causes were hers and um Uh, She would laugh at things like the, you know, sexual reactionary uh, politicians there at the legislature. I mean, that that combination of of puritanism and conservative reaction was even more ingrained then. Uh, now those battles are all about reproductive health and the rights of women, and that really started in great earnest um, after she was gone.
0: Well, another one of her her terrific turns of phrases was, um, I think somebody asked her, "Why do you why do you stay in Texas when you could?" You know, she had a national audience, and she said, "I can't get better material than the Texas legislature," uh, which I think probably speaks to you because you've been covering that for for many many years and you're you're doing it right now i think you you were covering what congressional district 31 uh primary race yeah this, this week issue. i'm
1: doing congressional races i've been doing the congressional races more than legislative ones but we'll, we'll certainly get back to those um and thinking about this conversation what i was thinking about was uh we've got another speaker scandal uh, molly would just love this uh, dennis Bonin sure. speaker so-called Gazi. it's perfect for her because it's the right wing eating its own um And uh, Bonin came in with a reputation, for example, as sort of a milk toast. And then behind the scenes, he's trying to become this power broker, and it had it backfired on him. You know, he thought he could make a deal with the worst reactionary forces uh in the legislature she would just be delighted with that i mean <laughs> she would just, uh, uh, uh in good molly tradition everybody uh refers to michael quinn sullivan who's this bought and paid for lobbyist as mucus and um uh and and mucus is is carrying on those same right-wing causes that molly uh, dedicated her life fighting so uh she would have a lot to say, yeah. Still, um, and she would be very, very um, delighted at the prospect that the Democrats are finally uh, making some progress there. I mean, it's been you know decades of isolation, really.
0: Absolutely. Well, I, I am curious about your read. Obviously, it's 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 early. It's early days, but uh, the last few elections, there's just the 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 regular story is is Texas turning blue. Uh, what do you think? Is it ever going to happen?
1: Well, uh, you know, the funny thing is, is that they really pushed that is, the Republicans have really pushed their extremism way too far, as embodied, of course, in their president. But um, um, uh, the uh, Trump is just a larger version of, uh, of, of the lieutenant governor here, Dan Patrick. That's one theme that runs through the film, that... As Molly liked to say, Texas is the national laboratory for bad government, and things are, the, the, the corollary to that. things uh, tried here first and proven not to work. Um, and uh, voter suppression, uh, racial segregation, uh, suppression of women's rights, all of that is like a cauldron here. And finally, people are getting sick of it. The demographics are changing. The voting population is changing, and there is such a virulent reaction to uh, the national uh, GOP that there's a good possibility that the uh, that the Democrats could flip the House at least here, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that would change things a lot, not only for Texas and uh, redistricting, but the whole country. Sure.
0: What do you think are the most interesting races to watch right now?
1: Well, uh, at the at the state level. It's the Senate race, which now has half a dozen decent candidates in it. I suppose the front runners there are uh, MJ Hagar, who gave uh, a good run in uh, 31 last time and then decided to run for Senate. For Cornyn's seat, right? Uh, for corn, okay. uh, for uh, Cornyn's seat. Um, Christina Tinson from Austin is running, Edkinson mm-hmm. Ramirez. Um, Royce West from Dallas, Seema Hernandez, and. Uh, edwards i've forgotten her first name from um, houston so that's going to shake out that's that's uh and then at the congressional level i suppose the highest profile race is uh, wendy davis versus chip roy in one of the six austin districts 21. Uh, the one i covered this week is john carter's texas 31 where hagar nearly knocked him off last time there are now eight democrats in the primary it took me all i could do to just figure out who they all were and list them. Mm-hmm. but that's a sign and some of them are not serious candidates, but they they filed. That's a sign that people think Carter is vulnerable. I mean he's even got three opponents in the Republican right. primary, which is unheard of. Um, so and then the other hot congressional race for our purposes is is Texas 10, which is the one that runs from the Austin suburbs up to Houston. And um, that's Mike Siegel, Shannon Hutchinson, and, and uh, Pritesh Gandhi. And those are all really strong candidates mm-hmm. who are going after Michael McCall who's been sitting on his butt for six or eight <laughs> years. So there's a shot anywhere from six to nine uh, congressional seats could flip. And mm-hmm. that would make a huge difference, uh, again, not just in Texas, but across the country. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I, Michael, you're going to keep covering these races for us, and uh, if listeners want to find your coverage, they can find it at austinchronicle.com forward slash elections. Thank you so much for coming in.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: We are going to take a quick break. Stick around. Welcome back to the Austin Chronicle Show. We are in studios of Co-op Community Radio, 91.7 FM in Austin, and live streaming through koop.org. I'm your host, Kim Jones, editor of the Austin Chronicle, and with me now is food editor Jessie Cape, who you might remember hearing Mm -hmm. last week when she was talking about CBD. (laughs) She's back. Uh, And also, Melanie Haupt, who is a regular contributor at the Austin Chronicle in our food section and other sections, and... Also, we started as proofreaders 20 years ago, as we were just remembering. <laughs> so, this week, uh, you guys are writing about sort of unconventional restaurants to take uh, your kids to. So, I want to just dive right in. And, Melanie, why don't we start with you? Tell us sort of what were your criteria?
2: So, my criteria were um, good drinks, like good cocktails and uh, a kid-friendly menu that wasn't necessarily chicken nuggets um, that kind of helped kids expand their palates but also was accessible and also, you know, a, a reasonable price point. And I also was looking for restaurants that kind of spoke to the need or restaurants as a space where parents are helping socialize their children to being in public, but also allowed room for, you know, little kids who maybe needed to get their wiggles out. So there was kind of a, a you know, negotiating that, those those ma- major concerns.
0: That's really interesting. I've never thought, I'm not a parent, uh, so I've never really thought about the the... The idea that restaurants are a great laboratory for Mm. teaching your child social skills. Jesse, you are a parent.
3: I am. (laughs) Yeah, uh, when my little guy was really small, um, his dad was and still is um, cooking in lots of kitchens around town. And so um, he kind of grew up knowing that you have to be quiet. You can't run around, you know, these things. But then again, you get a three-year-old anywhere and things tend to go haywire very quickly. So it's nice to be able to go to spaces where, like Melanie was saying, they're still allowed to be kids and they wiggle a little and they might squeak and, you know, make some noises, but they're not going berserk. And if it has a fence... That's even greater. Uh, so, and there's quite a few places um, like that on the list. Not all of them have an outdoor space, um, which is, you know, some people don't don't like that. And it is a thousand degrees outside, so uh, it's kind of nice to have a little mix. Sure.
0: Well, yes. It's as the. I mean, it hasn't happened yet, but eventually the the temperature will drop someday. Uh, Yes. Someday. And sort of the outdoor dining thing is going to be, which is obviously a big deal in Austin. Uh, I was, I noticed a lot of the restaurants uh, that you guys were profiling here are the, you know, outdoors, big, big, you know, gravel or soft dirt. uh, (laughs) uh, which is I think probably something important if you're a tiny person who falls down a lot. Mm, Uh, Melanie, do you want to talk about some of the places on the list that, that sort of fit that criteria?
2: Yeah. So I threw out a sour duck market, which is, you know, has a small little outdoor space. So if you want your kids or you're allowing your kids to sort of roam, it is off the street. And so you're not going to have to worry about them running into traffic. Um, and they can play while you have your beer and your, and your, Meaty dishes. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) um, And they also have really good pastries, which um, my younger child uh, is on the carbs diet. Um, all carbs. And so that uh, ability to let kids roam safely while you can sit and um, enjoy your meal Mm -hmm. is is a concern there. And then a place like Contigo is just, you know, again, you kind of have that closed off, relatively safe space where you can feel like you're kind of hanging out in your backyard. I like the I like the feel of being able, feeling like you're hanging out in the backyard with your friends and neighbors. Um, but, you know, I don't, I'm not very good at making cocktails or um, restaurant style dishes. So um, so I go to places that have that kind of backyard hanging with your homies feel. Um, my kids are a little older now, so they're, you know, we're kind of beyond the roaming stage and more Mm -hmm. into the um let's have a civilized conversation stage Mm -hmm, but there's mm -hmm. you know there's value in both of those
3: uh, i think we're still somewhere in between those stages (laughs) Uh, but yeah contigo is really great i'm glad you um suggested that one and it's nice too for a lot of people who i mean it's no secret hundreds of people are moving here all the time Mm -hmm. and so for people um who have small children it can be isolating to not know anyone in the city and have so many cool things to do but you get to the restaurant and then Mm -hmm. you're just sitting with the people that you came with so places like that at contigo it's like you're kind of like you're saying thrown into like a little bit of a backyard party kind of feel um you could still keep your eyes on the kids and there's things besides french fries for them to eat Mm -hmm. and uh and you might make a friend
2: my uh, my very good friend, whom I met um, when our our teens were toddlers, uh, she has a joke about how she used to cruise the pool for new mama friends mm-hmm, back mm-hmm. when the when the kids were little. So that you know, it is a great place to cruise for mm-hmm. other parent friends because once you become a parent. All of your friends are also parents (laughs) um, for the most part. Um, So it it definitely speaks to that kind of making connections beyond your, your tiny conscripted bubble. For sure. you know, I, I was speaking with a mom friend recently, and she said that she
0: felt like Austin restaurants were more friendly to dogs than mm-hmm. they were to small children. Mm-hmm. Has that been y'all's, y'all's experience I, of it? I have certainly uh,
3: taken <clears throat> excuse me, my little guy into places where all of a sudden, you know, the person at the host stand looks at me and I'm like, oh, great, here we go. You know, and I'm like trying to explain he's good. He's been going to restaurants his whole life. <laughs> Where you wouldn't have to say, like, oh, my dog won't bite you, I promise. You know, it's this whole thing. And so, yeah, I think that there is some, there's a lot of people in this town who uh,
2: don't understand what it's like to
3: dine out with a
2: small human. Or care. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that if you look on Instagram, if you're following certain Mm -hmm. hashtags and, you know, pockets, um, there are a lot of restaurants that are, Posting pictures of dogs on their patios, mm-hmm. but nobody's posting pictures of kids on their patios yeah, <laughs> and being so. like, "Come on, bring your Rugrats to our restaurant."
0: Right. <laughs> well, I think it's really interesting that Austin, you know, as we know, has experienced this. We're becoming a foodie town, or I think we're past the becoming. I think we, we are. are. Yeah. We are one hundred percent in the foodie place. Yeah. So it follows that we're also sort of rearing a new generation of foodie kids. Mm -hmm. And the places on the list that you guys are profiling, you know, yes, they do have kids' menus, but they're also this wonderful sort of gateway into more adventurous eating. Mm -hmm. Has that been y'all's experience, taking your kids and sort of nudging them into
3: yeah, I mean for me I, I'm lucky uh, my kid will eat pretty much anything. He dislikes exactly one thing and it's celery, so that's fine with me. Um wow. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird actually. Um so yeah, he I've never I've never had that experience where he couldn't find something uh, on the menu to eat, but I have a lot of friends who have, you know, children that like certain things and nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is nice to have options besides beige food mm-hmm. um, because, you know, if the options aren't there, they're never going to have the opportunity to try things and you don't want to spend 20 bucks just to see if your four-year-old's going to eat something. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that I'm I'm speaking from a position of privilege in that I get to review restaurants. Um, and so my older child has, has been, has had the opportunity to be very adventurous. We went to a Thai place that's now closed and he ate octopus and wanted more. And, but when he turned 14, a few weeks ago, he wanted to go to ramen Tatsuya. Mm. And um, so yes, the the food scene here has definitely made it so that um, at least 50% Fifty percent of my children is <laughs> relatively adventurous, <laughs> um, you know. And then, but then there are options for my my less adventurous child. But yeah, absolutely, it's it's definitely cleared the path for uh, you know diversifying their palates mm-hmm. for sure. So, in the course of your your research
0: for this story, anything jump out on you at, on one of the menus or any surprises that your kids had for you of what they did or didn't? I noticed that green beans.
2: I uh, got, got a bit of a diss. <laughs> <laughs> did I diss green beans or did I get, diss, uh, throw some shade at my child who won't eat green beans? Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah, the Green ladder. beans are yeah, <laughs> fine. Yeah. They aren't the offender here. <laughs> right, right. I clearly have some issues to work out with my daughter who won't eat anything green. But um, yeah, the, any any kind of green bean situation that is fried is going to be a hit, yeah. I think. I Some things I noticed that... That like you like sometimes you just don't want to take that kind of monetary risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm maybe not going to be like yo try a croque madame here at brunch and then I'm going to have to feed you second brunch when we get home right. because you rejected yeah. it out of hand. But I was pleasantly surprised at what uh, they would at least consider. Mm -hmm. tasting.
3: (laughs) Well and I don't know where along the lines someone had the brilliant idea to just completely take all vegetables off kids menus and Mm -hmm. make everything battered fried and beige Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know if it's like the 80s whenever I mean I certainly grew up on gross food because my mother hated to cook Um, but I think giving children a chance and you you mm-hmm. find yourself
2: surprised with what they actually will eat oftentimes, I think. I think that's right. And also, um, you know, offering it to them more than once. Right. You know, being like, oh, the, he rejected it once and therefore I'll never give it to him again. Well, just keep trying. So, you know, we'll keep going and offering the, you know, the fried green beans or the, um, I don't know, the vegan Uh, pancakes or my, my, my kids have a huge mental block against vegan food, even though they eat it all the time and they don't know it. But if I tell them it's vegan, they don't want to eat it. But you know, it's just um, persistence.
3: Yeah. uh, Um, With my kid, it's a battle of wills for everything. So mm -hmm. we went through a phase where uh, we would call Brussels sprouts power balls, and he (laughs) didn't find out they were called Brussels sprouts and that he'd been eating them and hating them. Uh, this whole time. But yeah.
2: So similar story. I got my daughter hooked on Wheatsville's uh, popcorn tofu by telling her it was chicken nuggets. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and that has been I have been able to maintain that. Well, I was able to maintain that charade until she would learn to read. And now she just <laughs> eats them because she likes them. But for the longest time. They were Those chicken. things are, are legendary. They are delicious.
0: <laughs> so if you have a tiny human that you're trying to encourage into more adventurous eating, or you're just like a regular-sized human who wants to hear about some good Austin restaurants, uh, yes. you can find this story at austinchroniclecom forward slash food and if you have opinions about food and i bet you do <laughs> mm-hmm. you should definitely be voting about it in the best of austin readers poll which is happening right now so that is going to do it for us today thank you both for coming in thank you thanks for having me yes